Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Appreciate y'all. I'm going to enjoy my cigar. God bless you guys. I hope all of you guys have a wonderful day because, you know, we're champions. <laughs> Keep it play at all times. God bless y'all. I think he lit the wrong end, Chris. I don't think he knows how to light a real cigar. I, I, I think... But he, it looked like he had his little portable humidor with him. So, but I think he lit the wrong end. Or did I'd have to bite? get a closer look. Yes, right. Or did he not bite off the end that maybe had that little area there? You know, like well, that. Well, but you're I, right. This isn't the old. This isn't the old west. When you smoke a cigar, you clip the end off. You have different types of cutters. There's a V notch. There's a flat cut. There's a punch. I think he lit the wrong end. I think that's what he did. I think, I think he's trying to smoke the business end of the cigar. So uh, anyway, it's a celebration. Uh, <laughs> it's a celebration. It's it's a great day for the Seattle Seahawks, who still may end up being the number one seed. It's a great day here. We're still in the holiday festive mood, or maybe not. But for, hey, regardless, it's that you know this is that week between Christmas and New Year's where what there's a different vibe, right? And the season culmination is awaiting and the playoffs are coming this is a fun time for the nfl isn't it it is a it is a fun time for the nfl i mean i don't know i i was waiting for you to go somewhere negative there for a second no. but okay good i'm gonna do it all right good you're not gonna do it all right good no but it is a very I'm fun happy. time good i'm glad that you're happy very good happy holidays uh superlatives time coming out of week 16 and there are plenty of different things we could actually for the second straight week I spent time last night thinking of superlatives instead of just doing them on the fly. So I feel pretty good about my superlatives. Go ahead, As always, then. though, I'll let you do the honors. No, you want go, me to ahead. go first. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, well, and and this one is is fairly simple and fairly obvious. But at the top of the hour, we need to at least play the hits. The better late than never award goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers had fallen and they couldn't get up. And somehow, some way, with the season 
crumbling around them with the prospect, although with the Browns failing to win in New York, the Steelers were still going to win the division yesterday, even with a loss. I don't know that they would have had the same party with the hats and the T-shirts in the locker room if they had been trounced by the Colts and then the Browns lose to the Jets, but they were still going to win the division the way things played out for the Browns. But the idea that three straight losses, offense had gone AWOL, no one has any answers. They spot the Colts a 24-7 lead in the third quarter. The offense fails to convert on fourth and goal from the two, and there was just that vibe. As we're watching all the games in the 1 o'clock window, that was the moment where it's like, all right, I'm done with that one, and I'll start focusing on a different one. And that was the moment they finally woke up. That's what it took. And and they get the win. What it means going forward, I don't know. But when you look at the extent of the celebration that came out of that locker room, if this wasn't just a celebration of winning the division. This was a celebration of getting out of this, this quicksand that they tripped into against Washington three weeks ago and avoiding what would have been a potentially epic collapse to win 11 games to start the season and potentially lose five in a row to end the season, even if you're in the playoffs. That's something no one wants to be attached to, Chris. No, definitely not. I mean, it's just no way to go into the playoffs. I mean, you're, you're, you're beaten down at that point. You know, that, that win yesterday for them was so big in so many ways. You know, we, they were feeling the pressure. They have not played well. Maybe that righted the ship. Certainly give them some confidence to go, hey, we got our mojo back. And I think in all seriousness, too, because you brought this up in the first hour, and I think this is very real, is their, 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 their COVID-19 schedule, it really screwed them up. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You, you can literally look at a direct correlation from when that all happened and rescheduling in games to they got worse right there for a number of weeks. And I do think that stressed them out, threw them off kilter, whatever you want to say. But either way, that was uh, great by them in the second half, uh, and looked like it was bad even you know halfway through the second half there. But they got it going, and that was uh, quite quite impressive uh, for for them to get it going like that. Um, all right, and the point the point we made last yeah. hour too, and let's reiterate it here. Right, they have to decide what they're going to do this weekend against the Browns. The Browns trying to get into the postseason, and as I said last hour in relation to the Bills and the Dolphins, if you have an opportunity to knock out a division rival that you don't want rolling into your stadium for the first round of the playoffs or the second round or whenever, knock them out if you can. Do you try to keep the saw sharp now that you've finally found a way to win, or do you shut it down and give the guys the bye week that they never got because of the COVID-19 messed up Steelers schedule? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a really good discussion. And I think if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I err on more on rest than anything. I do. You know, I know we talked about it in the first hour. The offense just got it going. I'd like to see them go out there and at least, you know, execute, throw the ball around, end the regular season with a good taste in your mouth going into the playoffs, something like that, you know, against a Browns defense that's not real good. You know, I think the defense needs rest. I, the offense is going to be the tricky one. How do they feel about Big Ben, his health, where they are as an offense? Do they feel like they need that work? The defense, we know what they are. They're really damn good. I do think they're worn out and beaten down, to your point, Mike, to where they do need the rest. All right, you ready, me? Well, we'll see. Yeah, we're, I'm, re I'm ready. I, 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 was, I, 
I was going to jump in, but I'm just going to let you go with yours. What's what's the what's the opposite of like a four leaf clover? Like what? Like in all seriousness, I'm asking. Like what's bad luck? A black cat? Is that where we're at? Like you black know? cat would yeah. be a bad, would yeah. be a broken mirror. How about the broken? mirror Yeah, award? right. The four leaf clover versus the uh, the broken mirror award there because like we had like one team, the Kansas City Chiefs, who have like a four leaf clover up their butt Wait, all the time. time. Out. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering. I think you're talking about four leaf clover when your your typical articulation of someone who is lucky is to say they have a horseshoe up their butt. I'm glad that that you added that to the well yeah this is the 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 chiefs are so lucky they have a horseshoe and a clover up their butt all right it's a double whammy there they really are and three rockets and then i don't know the falcons are like they literally i think we're holding a black cat and a mirror at the same time and drop the mirror just to make sure everything could be bad but I, i they're cursed i don't know what else to say with them as a football team that was not a good look for the Kansas City Chiefs football team yesterday. Mahomes in the offense never looked comfortable. It's amazing what they do. It's still amazing, even in a 17-14 win. It's just whenever they needed the drive, whether that was the last drive of the football game or the last drive of the first half, they do it. It's unbelievable. But, man, are they playing with fire this way. And I, I know I will bet that they would come out on top more times than not with this type of stuff. But, you know, for a Week 16 showdown about a team we look at as clearly the best in football, you know, they haven't been playing their best football as of late. And they were asleep at the wheel a little bit yesterday. And, of course, the Falcons were the Falcons and found a way not to tie the football game. But there's something about the Chiefs I know. where they dance on that line. And, and I asked Travis Kelsey about this yesterday. What feeling does he think is stronger, the feeling among the Chiefs in a situation like that that it's inevitable, or the feeling that you get from the other sideline that they're thinking, oh, God, here we go. Here come the Chiefs. Because you knew after the dropped interception in the end zone by A.J. Terrell, you knew what was coming. That's right. I knew what was coming. That's what I mean. A P-I-dash-dash missile from Patrick Mahomes, and that's lights out. Yes, you're exactly right, but that's what I mean. It's just there were so many instances there of, you know, horseshoe up your butt and black cat yesterday in the football game. It was unreal. There was chances where the Falcons could have controlled the football game, could have really put the Chiefs in a bad spot. They didn't capitalize. And you're right. The Chiefs always capitalize. They really do. Their defense was phenomenal yesterday. Chris Jones was amazing. He really was. And yeah, Mahomes and company just got it done. Uh, but it wasn't pretty. That's for sure. And, you know, I, I understand it too. You know, like we've talked about, they're a team that takes everybody's best shot and within the natural human emotions of football and everything like that, they've played some big time football games lately. So you got the Falcons coming to town who are not that great and yeah, you beat the Dolphins, you beat the Saints on the road, you beat the Bucks not long ago on the road too. Those are three out of your last four wins coming into yesterday. So yeah, they caught them napping, but they still win. They're amazing, the Chiefs that way. They really are. That's that's what's fascinating about yeah. it to me. Even when you get them on a flat day, they still find a way, and they found a way every day, every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whenever, other than the Raiders game where it took 40 points to kill the Dragon. They, they just keep winning, and they just keep winning. And now you've got me reflecting on all the various types of superstitions that are out there because my dad was ridiculously superstitious the italians i think there's a lot there's a lot of superstitions i don't understand them they're big on salt 
There's something about salt. You spill the salt, but then there's like little bag. Like when I got a car for the first time, my dad put a little bag of salt in my glove box, and I tried to I tried to tell him that if I get pulled over, they're gonna think I got a bag of cocaine Seriously. in my glove box. He didn't understand <laughs> that. And then my first day of school, my first day of school, first grade, 1971, the the pocket on the shirt. He popped it open and he starts shaking salt. I thought he lost his mind. He's shaking salt in my pocket. So it's a salt's a big thing too. So uh, I didn't anyway, know that one. I'm gonna do, I didn't know. I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole of superstition research as soon as the show is over, because now you've got me thinking about and reflecting on all the various superstitions that my dad had. As a result, I have none. I am not superstitious at all. I say it every time there's a Friday the thirteenth, come and get me. I'm not afraid of you. All right. Next up. Um I, I'm gonna go back. Because I don't want to get so caught up in what happened on Sunday, uh, even though Sunday was great. I'm going to take a broader view of Week 16 since it was packed together in a couple of days. And my next one is the It Must Be the Shoes Award because here comes Alvin Kamara with a red shoe and a green shoe on Christmas Day. They didn't make him take them off as they would have made Odell Beckham Jr. take them off. I have tried to reconcile the NFL's approach here. I'm told that the rules now only call for directing the player to get rid of non-conforming equipment if there's a safety or a branding issue. Otherwise, they'll deal with it through the normal disciplinary reasons. So well, why did it happen the other times? That, that, didn't st- what, that didn't stop them from telling Odell Beckham Jr. Right. Jarvis Landry oh. last year, you got to take your shoes off. That's a collateral issue. I know, the but that's still is, very annoying and hypocritical. I, I know. Right. I agree, okay. and I made that point at PFT. Thank yes. you for reading over the weekend. But, uh, but Alvin Kamara. I, you know, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I thought Reggie, I thought Reggie Bush would potentially do it. I thought Randy Moss would potentially do it. A six touchdown game since December 1965 that had not happened. Alvin Kamara became only the fourth player in NFL history to score six touchdowns in one game. It was amazing. It was uncanny. And it had something to do with the fact that the Vikings' defense was absolute and total crap. But still, there have been a lot of crap defenses over the years. But six touchdowns, unbelievable accomplishment by Alvin Kamara. And uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it does enough to get him into the Offensive Player of the Year conversation when you look at his numbers and compare them to others. But I, I think that scoring six touchdowns in one game is, is like extra credit, right? You always look for an opportunity to get extra credit so you could get your B to an A or whatever the case may be, or in your case, the D to a C. But but you, you're looking for extra... <laughs> nothing? You're looking for extra credit. I think you get extra credit for scoring six touchdowns in one game, don't you? Well, it's a phenomenal per- per- performance. It is. He's a special football player. You know, you could certainly argue he's the MVP of that offense, of that football team, one of the best players in the league, but he just... He had a few too many games of, you know, not great stat lines, not great statistics to be in that conversation. But either way, like, you know, you and me talking football, he is in that conversation. We know that. He's one of the best offensive players in the game. You know, he really is. The way he can carve you up in the run game, pass game, for a guy that's not real big, the, the physicality in which he can run, make people miss in space, he's amazing. He really is. And the Saints... You know, they're amazing, too. There they are off a, you know, a tough loss last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. They come back, they don't blink an eye, and they just steamroll your Minnesota Vikings. Just absolutely whoop their butt uh, in the run game, everything like that. Uh, that was that was impressive to watch. Almost 600 yards of total offense. I mean, hey, 
Look, that was that was amazing. Hey, hey, I'm I'm well aware, and uh, I, I wrote something about this over the weekend. The past 20 years for the Minnesota Vikings can be characterized in three words: just good enough. And they have gotten by, dog paddling through the waters of just good enough, never striving to be great, other than 2009 when they went all in for Brett Favre and almost got to the Super Bowl. It's just good enough. Contend in December, get to the playoffs one year, don't get there the next year, but always be in it up until the very end. That's good for business. See, they'll tell you, and I mean every team will tell you, we want to win the Super Bowl, we want to win the Super Bowl. Well, if you use that as your barometer for success, you're going to be pissed off all the time. Sorry, London. Even the Patriots, they've failed two out of three times over the past 20 years to win the Super Bowl. You're a failure if that's your standard. Your standard is be relevant as deep into the season as possible. In that regard, the Vikings are wildly successful. But they're not great. They, they're, they're, and they're content to not be great, Chris. And you're not going to see any major changes coming out of Minnesota after this year. They're just going to retool, reload, and just go ram their head into the wall all over again. And they'll probably make it to the playoffs next year, which will validate it. And then the year after that, they won't. That, that's the cycle that the Vikings are on, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I hear you. I, I don't think you're that far off from being a – damn really good competitive football team next year either so don't get your hopes totally down here come on don't jump off the viking ship completely I, 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 listen I, right? I, I you I, know I, you know you want to hang on a little bit yeah. minnesota man this guy's really hanging like you're like you're hanging on by a rope that's hanging off the end of the viking ship right now but you're still holding my, my on my son my son my son is actually trying to do something that i once tried to do years ago he's actually trying to renounce and jump on the Bills bandwagon. Oh, I like it. I, I told him. I told him. Go ahead. Go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. Go ahead and try. Maybe that's it's what you have to do. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's what needs to happen to end the curse. That's what it happens. You leave Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, who can you know the Vikings, this O for Super Bowl team, to go for another O for Super Bowl team, and you break the curse. Maybe that's what happens. He goes with my boy Blue. And just everything's good. And then you could stick with the Vikings. And then the Vikings win the in. Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, is right. that what happens? Is yeah. it like the Don Mattingly thing? Like, didn't Mattingly retire one year too yeah. early? He left. And, he, didn't he? Yes. Isn't that it? Yeah. And they won the yeah. World Series the next year. Yes. Very sad. Either way. I have these weird random baseball facts that just kind of pop out from time to time. And I have no confidence in them, but I do vaguely remember that. Yeah. All right. Uh, you're up. Uh the uh-oh award or yeah i just uh-oh they're looking scary i wouldn't want to have to play them in the playoffs and that will go to the baltimore ravens because they're starting to look scary here with what we've seen over the last few weeks their offense has got it going a little bit i know it wasn't just a high-flying act yesterday but they controlled the game with the new york giants pretty early and were able to kind of coast through the finish line but the way the run game and Lamar Jackson has looked, we've seen a little bit more involvement from wide receivers in the passing game. Not that it blows you away, but it's enough to where defense has got to think about it. And then the defense of the Baltimore Ravens seems like it's getting a little healthy here. So this is what, four games in a row now we've seen from the Baltimore Ravens. All of them have been pretty impressive on the offensive side of the football, that's for sure. And the defense has made plays when they've had to. We're dominant yesterday, really dominant, and uh, we'll see. But I, I, the Ravens are looking like one of those teams right now where, you know, I don't know, man. I wouldn't want to have to see them in, in the wild card round coming into town, no matter who you are. Lamar Jackson, those good players, that offensive line, that defensive line, they'll be scary. They'll be tough to beat.
Hey, and I think the one team that should be ready to run and hide if the Ravens come back is the Pittsburgh Steelers because I firmly believe that the Ravens are supremely confident that if they would catch the Steelers again after being swept by Pittsburgh, the game that, remember back in Week 8, the Ravens completely dominated that game, but the Steelers found a way to win it. And then when they got together again after the six-day delay because of the COVID outbreak with the Ravens, they were dramatically undermanned and they still almost won the game if they would be at full strength against Pittsburgh I think they would beat Pittsburgh and I think they would love the chance to do it before they get there though they have a winning in game against the Baltimore uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals and they had that three years ago week 17 and Andy Dalton got them on a fourth and 12 49 yard touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd with 44 seconds left and remember the Bills fans contribute to Andy Dalton's foundation because it opened the door for the first Bills playoff berth since 1999. Uh, the Ravens lost in that setting. And John Harbaugh told me after the game yesterday, he's he's going to allude to that game since they play the Bengals again. But, but he's not going to harp on it too much because he doesn't want the guys to get tight. And they're very loose right now. They're confident right now. They've won four games in a row. And they've won playoff-style games against teams that needed to win. They, they, they beat the Giants yesterday in a game the Giants needed to win. So the Ravens are in postseason form. And uh, they're going to be ready, I agree with you, Chris, to create some problems when January rolls around. I, I think so. You know, they're, they're, they're that team that – and I don't think we expected to be talking about it with them, but you've hit on this scenario a lot. They're that team who's kind of been playing playoff football for the last four weeks. And then you just go, uh-oh, here we go. You know, now they're in a must-win situation for the last game of the year. Okay, so it's important. They're playing another playoff football game. And it's against a lesser team to where you go, they should win that football game. And they should win it, you know, pretty comfortably to where they can go into the playoffs going, our chests are out. We feel good. It doesn't matter who you are. We think we got a chance to beat you. And I think they should be justified in, in you know, having those thoughts and feelings with the way they're playing right now. Next one for me is the tanked for Tre Trevor Award. Not tank, but tanked. We'll call it past tense because that's what I believe the Jaguars did. And we have seen it before. Every once in a while, you know, you'll get a proclamation that there's never tanking. There is tanking. The, the Buccaneers did it in 2014 in week 17. They removed their starters, most of their starters, so they would blow an 11-point lead to the Saints and nail down the Jameis Winston pick. I, 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 I think that the choice to go with Mike Glennon over Gardner Minshew, the decision to not play James Robinson, a highly effective rookie who has played through a lot of bumps and bruises this year. I think that the Jaguars wanted nothing to do with potentially winning on Sunday and blowing their shot at a franchise-transforming quarterback prospect. You're already 1-13. and 13. Who cares if you're 1-14? Mission accomplished. They'll never admit it. I don't know what promises may have been made. Maybe Doug Marone gets one more year with Trevor Lawrence. Maybe that's maybe that's the quid pro quo for him to go along with the tank scenario where they let Glennon play instead of Minshew. Who in their right mind would say that Mike Glennon's a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew, Chris? Not that Minshew has lived up to the potential we saw last year. Why not go from Glennon to Minshew at some point yesterday when it's starting to fall apart? I just think, and I'll have a problem with it. Yeah. I'll have a problem with it. They're going to be far better off with Trevor Lawrence. But but mission accomplished for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to have Trevor Lawrence. And if Trevor Lawrence is as good as advertised, 
the teams in the AFC South are going to have to deal with this guy for the next 10 years or longer. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I would, I, you know, I look at Trevor Lawrence and I think, um, a lot of like it's, this is Justin Herbert. It's a very similar guy to me in a lot of ways, except this is a guy who, you know, probably even a little more athletic than Justin Herbert in some ways. I don't know if he can throw it the same way. Herbert's pretty special throwing the football, but it's that type of guy where you just look at him, and I think we're going to all look at him and just go, just like Justin Herbert. We saw one game, and we were like, this guy belongs. And then we saw two games, and we were like, this guy's really good. And then we saw three games, and we went, holy crap, he's a superstar. And that's what I think we'll see with DeMarcus, I mean, with Dexter Lawrence, when he, when he get, Trevor Lawrence, excuse me, all these damn Lawrences. Uh, yes, I do think we'll see that. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Kudos to Jacksonville getting it done with, you know, getting it done the way they wanted to get it done. And Doug Marone with Jay Gruden, that's a pretty good, good damn combination to, you know, bring in a young quarterback with guys who have been there, done that, and have a pretty good track record. I mean, Doug Marone did go to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback and got to the Final Four, and his name was Blake Bortles. Jay Gruden's been around the block. He knows how to do that, too. So I don't think that's the worst idea you've ever thrown out there. Certainly not. You know, speaking of quarterbacks, I'm going to the Mariano Rivera Award because I've never seen anything like this. You know, the Miami Dolphins on Sunday, Saturday. I mean, that just – have you ever seen where it's just like, hey, we're going to pull the starter and throw the backup in and nobody's going to really care and we're not going to drive him – in fact, we're actually more dangerous and better when we throw in the backup than we do with the quarterback, the starter. You know, it, it, it's amazing what we're seeing with the Miami Dolphins. That whole game was amazing. The amazing at the, the you know, finale, everything like that. But I think just the, the scenario again for the second time this year where we see Tua – look there and really make no plays or nothing that makes you go, ooh, I really, wow, this is awesome, and get pulled out of a football game, and Ryan Fitzpatrick came in, comes in, just like he did in Denver, and the team just marches up and down the football field. I mean, that's got to be a little concerning to Miami either way, but either way, I've never seen a team handle it as well as they do. That's, that's what I'm really surprised by. It's a testament to Brian Flores yeah. that he's able to create the – the mood and the atmosphere in the locker room where no one is upset. And if they are, right. they're not saying right. anything to anyone about it because if they do, they're going to have to answer to Brian Flores. And secondly, it's a testament to the character of Tua Tonga-Vailoa that he's not upset about it, that he's not selfish, that he understands there's a reason for it. And he understands that every once in a while, the team needs the spark that Ryan Fitzpatrick can provide. And, and Fitz it's, too. It's, it's and that's right because Fitz isn't clamoring. Right to be the starter, and he very well could be. It wouldn't be hard to do it. You get the word out. You talk to some people off the record. You get your agent pumping him up. Hey, I can't believe that Flores is doing this. No, Fitzpatrick is fine with his role. Tua is fine with his role, and uh, and 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 it's working. But the thing is, it doesn't feel sustainable. No, it does Because not. we've never seen it be sustained. Ken Wisenhunt tried it in 2007 with Matt Leinart and Kurt Warner. And when they'd fall behind, he'd pull Liner and he'd put in Warner. And then when Warner would would save their bacon, they'd put Liner back in. And it was lather, rinse, repeat until Liner suffered a broken collarbone. And then Warner became the starter until he retired after the 2009 season. It just doesn't feel like something that will work. And Chris, I tweeted this on Saturday night after the Dolphins won. And I don't expect Dolphins fans in their euphoria to agree with me. But the one thing that would nag at me if I was a Dolphins fan, is they picked Tua when they should have taken Justin Herbert. 
that you wouldn't have to bench Justin Herbert. You'd be better off with Justin Herbert. If people are like, oh, oh, Herbert's got better weapons. Herbert's got – no, look, I think what we've seen so far – and Tua may, may have a much better career. He may win more, more games, get into the playoffs more often, win a championship, who knows. But I think objectively we can say, based on what we've seen so far, Herbert's the better quarterback, right? Yeah. I mean, Herbert, Herbert is getting into the, like, no doubt top 10 quarterback conversation – he is in the conversation of one of the five best throwers in football already. There's no area that Tua has an advantage over Justin Herbert. I'm not trying to be a jerk or a smart ass or anything like that. That's just the fact of the matter. There, you go through the checklist, Herbert wins. Herbert has been special all year long, and he makes game-changing throws. He has won them football games, and he has been the reason they've been in games to where they can find a way to lose them at the end but probably aren't in those games unless it's a guy like Justin Herbert who can just make throws that are off the charts good. So, yes, they should be kicking themselves. Mike, I've even talked about this a little bit on my my podcast last week and everything, too. This is where we got to be careful about letting fan bases run the team and tell us who should be the quarterback. I don't know. How good would the Dolphins be if they still had Ryan Tannehill and then use the number five pick on something else? Or maybe traded down and got other players. Man, how good would they be? But instead, the narrative in Miami was Tannehill's crap, and we're going to blame him for everything. So uh, I hear what you're saying, but uh, yes, uh, clearly Herbert special there. Tua, great like leader, charisma, the ability to handle the situation, all that. Managing games to where he's not messing it up. But what we're seeing right now is... Yeah, he doesn't lose you games, but he doesn't necessarily win you games. That's kind of where he is right now in his development. And as you said, it's very early. So let's not, you know, jump the shark uh, too quick. And and I think Brian Flores is still trying to figure out the best way to handle this situation too on the fly. On Saturday night, he characterized Ryan Fitzpatrick as our relief pitcher on Sunday when Flores met with reporters. He said, I don't want to apply labels to anyone. So... I, I yeah I, look this is new for him and for all of us and and when you see Ryan Fitzpatrick make the throw that he made with his head being twisted around a la Linda Blair in The Exorcist and he makes that throw and sets up the game winning field goal I think you have a quicker trigger finger the next time around if the offense is struggling and yeah, you're going to right. here let's let's play it out cuz cuz I I wish I had tweeted this on Saturday night cuz then I could point to it as proof my son and I were watching the game and I said to him when Tua was struggling in the second half man you know I'm wonder if they're going to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick right. and I said ah dismiss it it's the offense the offensive line's terrible it's not going to matter next drive here came Fitzpatrick but you're going to have guys on the sideline now kind of looking around a little bit more if the Dolphins are struggling because they know what Fitzpatrick can do. The more that you pull the rabbit out of the hat, the more that the people around the magician are going to want to see him go out there and do his trick. That That's that's human nature. That's the problem. And if they start struggling against Buffalo in a must-win game that's playing out when all these other games that are interconnected are playing out, you're going to have guys on that sideline who are clamoring for Ryan Fitzpatrick. That, but they're going to they're gonna have that this week. Not that they're going to be clamoring, but there's going to be people in Miami in that locker room this week going, 
Like I like Tua, but wh- why are we still starting him? What? What? Why are we doing this? I don't. I don't understand it. You know, again, let's not forget there was no reason to bench Ryan Fitzpatrick to start with. I mean, he was playing pretty good football. But I, I do think with that, you know, when you go through a game in three quarters, and then some guy comes in in one quarter and doubles your output as far as throwing the football, and then of course just to your eye, you just go the offense looks different. You know, that's where you're you're going to have people talking quietly in the corner of the locker room going, uh, Fitzpatrick looks better. Why don't we just run with him? And Tua will be here for a while, and we, we don't have to force this right now. I think that's going to be a conversation. Now, to like you said, Flores has done a great job of handling this whole situation, and they have two quarterbacks that really know how to handle it and are very mature about it as well. But how can you not have, you know, some of those thoughts if you're in that locker room right now? Uh, and I'll be interested to watch that film and see if Tua left something on the field that was there to be had uh, uh, in the game, too. And just to leave some big plays out there on the field. And as we go to break, one final thought that yeah. just kind of crystallizes we're considering this. The thing about Fitzpatrick in recent years has been that that switch toggles back and forth from Fitzmagic to Fitztragic. And when you finally buy in, that's when it falls apart. Right. Flores is, I think, trying to master using Fitzpatrick in just enough doses right. that it never turns Fitz tragic. So just you capture the Fitz magic and then you put it back on the shelf and then you bring it back out and it's magic and you put it back on the shelf. And if you overuse it, right, it goes bad. It goes sour like milk that right. sat out on a sunny on a sunny uh, a window ledge. So I, th- I think there's some of that psychology going into this as well because we've seen it time and again. It eventually wears off. It eventually runs out. He eventually does something that he shouldn't have done, and you say, why the hell is this guy in there? All right, let's take a break. The uh, Cleveland Browns had a chance to nail down a playoff berth, and they failed to do so. What went wrong for the Browns after a crazy weekend that culminated in a loss to the New York Jets? More Panthers Live Reaction. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, The threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's no excuse. Uh, plain and simple, I, I failed this team. I put three balls on the ground. Uh, two of them that 
you know, they recovered. And then the other that on the fourth down, obviously, need to just hold on to the damn ball. So, uh, plain and simple, uh, I have to hold on to the damn ball. I uh, failed this team. Uh, we had exactly what we needed to win this game, and I didn't do good enough. In other words, Baker Mayfield did some things that an idiot would do on Sunday, to borrow a turn of phrase that he used earlier this year in making the Dwight Schrute reference. Hey, look, Mayfield has gone uh, back and forth and up and down. He's had some great games. He's had some bad games. And yesterday's game was a strange game for the Browns because out of the blue on Saturday, we find out they've got multiple guys going on to the COVID-19 reserve list. One guy tested positive, was a linebacker, but then multiple other guys, they're in the same hot tub, they're in the same recovery room. I thought they had specific rules on that uh, to keep guys apart. And if they did, the Browns didn't follow them because they didn't have Jarvis Landry. They didn't have Rashard Higgins. They didn't have Donovan Peoples-Jones. They didn't have Kaderil Hodge. They didn't have four of their receivers. Kind of makes it hard to beat any NFL team when you're slapping it together like that. And the Browns just were flat all day long. Kudos to the Jets for finding some late-season magic, beating the Rams and now beating the Browns. And they've got two wins. And goodbye to Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence won't get the chance to snub the Jets now the way it's playing out. But uh, the Browns had their chance, Chris. Even with all that, I thought the Browns would still win the game. I thought the Browns were the better team. I thought the defense would rise to the occasion. They just couldn't make it happen. No, they could not. You know, I mean, even even with the performance, you know, overall, like Baker Mayfield did some good things yesterday. He really did. Uh, first off, I think the big thing to me, Mike, is just, again, it just shows that Stefanski, the mature a way in which the Browns handle things. You know, he really takes the blame there. And and quite honestly, you know, he fumbled the ball three times and none of them were really his fault. The quarterback sneak, okay, yeah, you could say that one. But the other two, he was lambasted, you know, couldn't see, got crushed. Uh, so you're going to fumble the ball when that happens at times. You know, and I think the disappointment is, Mike, you would think with the wide receivers out, I thought, well, they'll still be able to run the ball. They'll be able to run the ball, and they'll find a way to win ugly and do something like that. But, man, for the second week in the row, the Jets' D-line kicked the crap out of the opposing offensive line. We saw them do it to the Rams, and they gave that Browns offensive line issues. So there it was in the game with Baker Mayfield – he couldn't run the ball, and then he had to throw the ball to no names and the tight ends, and they were trying to find ways to make it work in the passing game, and it just was not easy. They were only in the game because of Baker Mayfield. I'll give him credit there. I really will. That was a tough one. Bad luck for Cleveland. Yeah, and the Jets didn't have Quinnen Williams either, and that defensive line right. was still getting it done. The Browns' defensive line at one point seemed to have gotten it done with a strip sack that was returned for a touchdown by Malcolm Smith, the Super Bowl 48 MVP, and then it was wiped off the board because How? the ruling on the field, well, and and it it clearly was a fumble. It clearly was a fumble. And I think if the ruling on the field had been fumble, it would have been upheld on replay review. This is one of those this the and this is me trying to give our River on a company the benefit of the doubt and say this is one where they applied the clear and obvious standard, the 50 drunks in a bar standard, a little bit too aggressively. And they just concluded that it's not so obvious that the ruling on the field was wrong, that, that it justified overturning it. That's the best I can do. And even then, I still think they got it wrong. But I, I understand the process. 
you're you're reviewing what happened on the field with the standard, not what do I think it was, but do I believe that it was clearly wrong? I, I know. The the problem is is there was about four of those plays in football yesterday, and they were all called fumbles, and they were exactly the same way. And I know it's like, okay, we're gonna say what it was called on the field, but at some point, like if it all if we have five plays and Three of them were called, you know, on the field, not a fumble. And two on the field were called a fumble. They're all the same five. They're all the same five. And they all have to be viewed the same way is what you're saying. At this end of the day, like you can't have one just go, well, that's not a fumble because it wasn't called that on the field. But that is a fumble because it was called that on the field and the exact same thing happened. That to me is the issue right now with that. I, I don't I don't get that. And I saw no joke, and I can't come up with it in my head right now, but there was three or four other plays like that yesterday that happened in football games. Dwayne Haskins comes to mind with one of them. I know there was one or two other, and I'm blanking out and choking under the pressure right now, and I can't remember. There was a play in the Vikings-Saints game on Friday where Kirk Cousins clearly had his arm moving forward. The ball was clearly out, but they let the play go on with the fumble recovery and return. And it made me think, and this is the Coach Dungy influence, because every once in a while he'll say, ah, a memo went out. It made me think a memo went out to the officials saying or reminding them as the playoffs approach and the games have bigger stakes, let these plays go. We can always fix it later because you can't, you know, if there is a fumble recovery for a touchdown and it was ruled an incomplete pass. All you can do is give possession to the defense if there's evidence of a clear recovery as part of the evidence that they're looking at in replay review. I, I just I wonder whether that was done. And if that was the case, they screwed it up in New York, not at Park Avenue, but in New Jersey. They screwed it up by not calling it a fumble in real time and letting replay fix it if need be. That's the problem with deferring to replay to fix mistakes. Because if you are going to use the very high standard of clear and obvious evidence, 50 drunks in a bar, and you're saying go ahead and err on the side of letting it play out, well, unless it's clear and obvious, maybe you would have ruled it differently. Maybe you thought it was different, but you let it play out, and there isn't enough evidence there to overturn what otherwise is a mistake. Yeah, I mean, you, you, yes, you're, you're right. I, I don't know. They just got to find out a, a better way there with, with that. It's just a little too inconsistent. Sky judge. Yeah, Sky maybe judge. that's what it is. Sky judge. It was Sky Matt Ryan, Spend the Chiefs the game. He had a very similar play, right, Mike? They called that a fumble on the field. It was the exact same thing. You know, and I think there's even one more. I think Phillip Rivers might have had Did one. that get overturned, though? Did that one get overturned? There was one that was called a fumble that got overturned, right? I know, but I think that one stayed I think that one stayed a fumble, if I remember correctly. I gotta go back and remember look, there's too many the, damn the cousins games on play Sunday. the cousins play clearly was not a fumble, but they let it play out. Right. That's what made me think a memo went out to the officials. But if it if it did that memo was not received, or if it was, it was not read by the officials who worked the game between the Browns and the Jets. Uh, but the bottom line is, whether it was that or something else, the Browns had a chance. They didn't get it done. And now they could be, just like they were in 2007, 10-6 and six and out of the playoffs. And there's still a way they could be 11-5 and five and out of the playoffs, Chris. So uh, uh, Browns fans getting very, very nervous. I remember a few weeks ago, I think it was – one of the first weeks we had Kornacki on Football Night in America, and they showed the Browns' percentage at high 90s. And there it was, entering week 16 at 
And I thought, man, that's kiss of death. And if the Browns blow this, it's going to feel worse than all those crappy years because at least those years, you know it's over. In the years when the Browns are just bad start to finish, you know it's over by Halloween and you can start following basketball or some other sport. To have your heart ripped out this late, and there it is, 94% entering this week, and it's yeah. now down to 68%. And if I'm a Browns fan, I don't like that 68%. I'm thinking it's a lot lower than that, and it's going to be a long week of worrying, Chris. Yeah, yes, and yeah, wondering if they're cursed and how could this happen with COVID-19 the day before a football game. I mean, really, it's 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 pretty unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, honestly, it, it – it, that that it's just funny because that 2017 was a little like this team where I just go, man, if they get in, they could be dangerous and you better watch out. But I don't know if they're going to get in. We'll see. And they're going to have a big one next week for their benefit. I hope that Pittsburgh is resting a lot of their players and just getting ready for the playoffs. And we see Cleveland in it. I want to see the Browns in the playoffs uh, that that I do feel very comfortable saying out loud. No guarantee they're going to win, even if the Steelers rest their starters, though. We've no, seen some crazy no. outcomes like that in the past. So Week 17 should be a lot of fun before we continue any focus on Week 17 or the game to be played tonight between the Bills and Patriots. Let's not forget that. Let's have a Sunday surprise draft. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Whiplash on this playoff <laughs> roller coaster for the Bears. Let's take you through what it's been like. They were five and one out of the gate this year. October 18th, they had nearly an 80% chance at that point, it looked like, of making the playoffs. Then nearly two entire calendar months of losing. Six straight losses for the Bears. That brought you into December. They were in single. Their playoff chances were on life support in early December. Then they get those two wins. They knock off, knock off Houston and Minnesota. It puts them back in the playoff picture, and things have changed in a big way in the last 48 hours. Check this out. Last night, Arizona losing to San Fran. That alone put Chicago over 50% their playoff chances. It opened the door if they could take care of business against Jacksonville today, which you just showed us. They did. So now the Bears with a 70% chance. Steve Kornacki talking about the uh, percentages and the possibilities and the probabilities as the playoffs approach. Week 16 almost completely in the books. A little Sunday surprise draft, and because, Chris, I am still feeling somewhat charitable, not much, though, since it was Christmas three days ago, my gift to you is the first pick. Oh, I just get the first pick today? Okay, great. I'll take it. Fine. It's my uh, gift to you. No because, problem. Because, because the trivia question was not gifted to me. Oh, it was not? I think there's one there in the sheets. I just don't think you can read. It was no, there. No, it's not. It's not. It's yeah. it's not. It's not. <laughs> Trust me. It's not a question. Go ahead. Make a pick. All right. I guess it was something. It's, it's Casey and I trading insults. Go ahead. Um. All right. Well, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to go to Saturday, you know, the Saturday scrimmage that we watched. All right. I'm going to talk about that real quick. Not that that was a huge surprise, but the fact that we saw a scrimmage in Saturday football where we saw one professional team and one practice squad team out there uh, versus Tom Brady and the Bucks, that was unbelievable. You know, I just uh, Brady again, that offense, like we've talked about the last, you know, two or three weeks. I mean, I don't know the Bucks, the way they're playing. I think they're damn scary. I think they have figured it out on the offensive side of the ball. I knew they were going to win that game yesterday or Saturday. We both knew that, but I mean, they could have scored 150 points in that game if they wanted. Brady could have thrown for 700 yards. I mean, that was not even a, they didn't even need to break a sweat. 
he was just phenomenal. I felt like talking about it. That's why I'm picking it number one. The way he threw the football, the way their offense looked, um, they are damn dangerous. I mean, almost 600 yards of total offense, and Brady didn't even play the second half. Pretty impressive, and I just still think that was surprising because the Lions have at least competed here the last few weeks, and they totally laid an egg uh, last Saturday. Yeah, they were down to like the interim to the interim to the interim coach. They had multiple coaches not available due to COVID-19 protocols. They tried to get the game delayed by a day. One thing we've learned since October, the NFL is not going to push games back because they're concerned it's going to get worse and you're not going to be able to play it the next day. It's on you to make sure that your guys are able to go. And if there's any hint that there's any fault or culpability by players, coaches, whatever, in a COVID-19 outbreak, they're even less likely to find any type of of lenience or concession for a team that would like to get some more time so it's ready to go. So that's what happened to the Lions. And frankly, Chris, I, I thought that Bruce Arians would let Tom Brady go for the single-game passing record of 554 yards, set in 1951 by Norm Van Brocklin. He had 348, Brady did at halftime. He only needed only. He only needed 207 to break it in the second half. And only, well, it's against the Lions JV team <laughs> with JV coaching. I mean, he would have gotten it if they'd have left him in. But if he would have gotten injured, then uh, they probably would have not allowed Bruce Arians to go back to Tampa Bay ever again, even to go pack up the stuff at his house. First one for me, um, I I'm going to stay with Saturday. And I, I want I want to focus on the thing that surprised me most about what happened with the Raiders Dolphins game. And yeah, it was the throw with the the, the, the head getting ripped off. But this, I, I'm really going to focus in on the Raiders not scoring a touchdown when they could. It's one thing to take that knee when you're leading late and you're trying to milk the clock and you've worked out. The, the, the analytics side of it as to keeping the other team from ever having a chance to get the ball back and onside kick and coming back and winning. You're up by, well, you're not even up at that point. You're down a point. You're trying to work the angle here to not score, take time off the clock, kick a field goal, and then make it easier for the team to beat you when they get the ball back because you're not defending the end zone at that point. You're just trying to defend a field goal. I don't know why you don't take the touchdown. Look, I got no problem with Josh Jacobs taking the knee at the one. But then after that, when you milk it down to 105, I think you take the touchdown with 105. Uh, the Dolphins were trying to let them score. The Raiders didn't want to score. And obviously the result proved that it was a mistake. But I still think I would rather, with a team that has no timeouts, I'd rather give them a minute on the clock and say, try to score a touchdown, than give them 20 seconds and all I need is one fluke play, and they're in range for a field goal to beat me. With today's field goal kickers, I always am going to choose to defend the end zone over defending a field goal. I, I get that. I, I do. I mean, I, I, I don't want us to be too, you know, nitpicky about it either, though. You know, to, too. I mean, I'm with you. I would always err on I'd rather make the team go score a touchdown, definitely. But I can understand Gruden's thinking there. You know, their defense stinks. And it has st it had stunk that whole fourth quarter. I mean, so I think that's what he was scary too. I think he was scared because he just, you know, on a drive before had watched the running back catch a four-yard throw on a slant route and seven of his guys couldn't tackle him and Miles Gaskin ran for a 53-yard touchdown. So I think he was a little bit like, 
I don't trust my defense here at the stretch, down the stretch. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick and them will probably go down and score a touchdown. So, like, I'm with you, but I'm not going to sit here and get mad at Gruden for that. I am going to get mad at Damon Arnett, the corner over there, who's in cover two, and he's protecting the flat. Like, a four-yard gain into the flat's going to change the game. No. You get back. Did he call that defense? No. Did he call that defense? No, but I'm sure. Right, don't be mad at him, I will, I'm, He's been coached on what to do. I mean, he's supposed to not go to the flat in that scenario. I know that. I played in the defense. I played in Tampa during the Tampa 2 era. That was a mess up. But either way, I get you, uh, and it's it's certainly a, a good talking point. Um, I'm going to go to the third quarter explosion by the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that's probably one of the shockers of the of Sunday to me, just because the way the Steelers had looked on offense the last few weeks, the way they had looked through the first two quarters of the game yesterday, I just we were getting to that where you just went, oh, chalk it up. I mean, the Steelers are done. They're done. Like they're not. I I mean, we we're sitting there going, man, they look so bad that yes, Cleveland was down to the Jets at that time, but you went, I think Cleveland's going to win the game still. And Pittsburgh's going to lose, and Cleveland's going to beat Pittsburgh next week, and Pittsburgh's going to end up on the road, you know, in their first round wild card game. I mean, that's really where I had my brain had gone. And then the big pass of Deontay Johnson, and here we go. And they got the mojo going, and Big Ben started throwing that football all around the field. And Mike, the big thing is what we've talked about the last two or three weeks too. They look at their touchdowns. Deontay Johnson down the sideline. Juju Smith-Schuster down the middle for, you know, his uh, 25-yard touchdown pass. They kept blockers in. They made Big Ben feel good. Okay, I'm comfortable, I'm protected, and now I can throw the ball down the field. And to me, with the older quarterbacks, that's something that you got to tinker with. And, and Brady and the, the Bucks have figured that out. Next one for me, the fact that the Falcons played the Chiefs so close, 17-14. Who would have ever dreamed that final score for Chiefs-Falcons? We had 37-30. That was my pick as of Wednesday, and I'm glad I changed my mind after hearing you explain it during our Mega Picks podcast that the Falcons would cover. They did cover, but to only have 31 total points in the game and to have the game as close as it was, that was a stunner to me because I thought the Chiefs were kind of past that. I thought they'd learned that they do kind of sleepwalk from time to time and they weren't going to let it happen. They let it happen. They still found a way to win, barely, but I was surprised that it was as close as it was. Yeah, I, you know, I thought that Atlanta might be able to keep it close. You know, sun shines on a dog's butt every now and then during the pick segment, and, and the, that one was where I, I ended up right. But I think the thing that's concerning, you know, the Falcons have been playing good D. We've seen the Falcons be able to rush the quarterback, and the Chiefs are having issues protecting the quarterback right now. That's that's a real issue. I, I haven't seen them like this through the Mahomes-Andy Reid era. So, you know, hopefully they can get healthy here down the stretch and change that little aspect uh, of their football team. But – um, yeah, they were in danger of losing altogether, which was, was a little surprising to me. Um, I think my next one is going to have to be Andy Dalton and the high-flying Cowboys, just for what they did in the past game, their wide receivers, everything. Not that I'm shocked that they won against the Philadelphia Eagles, but I didn't think they were going to score 37 points, and Andy Dalton was going to throw for almost 400 yards and just carve them up that way. That was pretty surprising, and now I give them the lead. Leader in the, they're in the leader house to win the NFC East. Well, and Ezekiel Elliott also, that was my surprise, the fact that he had that rebirth at a time when people were saying, hey, maybe Tony Pollard is right. a better 
option at tailback for the Cowboys. For me, the Jets two-game winning streak. I'm surprised that's still on the board. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. They had the video of Fireman Ed on the board yesterday at the empty MetLife Stadium. Here they are, two wins in a row. Maybe if they can finish with three in a row, Adam Gase is back next year. Is, I, don't, I don't think that anything <laughs> is going to save him at this point. Don't give but the Jets you, fans any more heart attacks, okay? It's a testament to the fact that it's the NFL, there's pride, and sometimes, sometimes, guys can find a way when you think there's no way. And sorry, Jets fans, but no Trevor Lawrence. Maybe Justin Fields. Maybe someone else. Maybe Sam Darnold's your guy next year. Maybe. Who knows? All to be determined as the offseason unfolds. Quick break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. Oh, it's the last Monday night game of the year, Chris. Bills at Patriots. When we first saw the schedule, hey, hey, this could be a great game. Playoff implications for both teams. Well, the Patriots are done. They're cooked. It's over. They play the role of spoiler potentially for the Bills who are trying to nail down the number two seed. The Bills have been great in recent weeks, and I'm sure they would love nothing more than to step on the throats of the Patriots in recognition of the fact that the Patriots constantly did it to them whenever they could. Yeah, I mean, I would think so. The Bills are playing as good as anybody in the NFL. I mean, they're they're in the you know, cream of the crop as you put them in your power rankings and everything like that. Plus, I think they have a confidence about them now that they know they're one of those teams and that they're better than the Patriots. And there's no more fear of them or Josh Allen on the big stage or anything like that. So, yeah, I think my boy Blue and the Bills win this game tonight by 7, 10 points, something like that. We'll see you later this afternoon for PFTPM to further get you ready for the final Monday night game of the year. That's it for now. Enjoy your day. We'll see you tomorrow. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.